0: Let's do, shall we? Uh, my name is Mark. It's good to be with you today. Uh, generally, I have a different job to play, a role to play on Sunday mornings. i generally back there playing an instrument and singing songs. Today, I'm doing this. We're in part two of a series. It's called Asking for a Friend. I'll jump into that in just a minute. Before I do, I want to reiterate something that Pastor Tim, our lead pastor, has stood up here a time or two in the last month or two uh, and said Uh, to you. And by the way, he'll be back next week. He's enjoyed, I hope, it looks like, enjoyed an amazing trip to Israel with his wife. So they're on their way back now, from what I understand. So they'll be back next week. But a big uh, piece of information for you to know is we have a new staff member joining us next Sunday. He'll be a full-time pastor on our team. His name is Jake, and him and his wife, Mallory, are coming here from the Knoxville, Tennessee uh, area. So we're excited to have them. He'll have kind of a dual role on our, on our staff. He'll do some of uh, the worship stuff in, in this room on Sunday mornings. He'll do that also for our teens on Wednesday nights and some other various uh, youth functions and whatnot. So uh, welcome Jake and Mallory next week, if you will, and help me make them, help us all make them feel welcome uh, to a cool place. So uh, enough about that. Uh, part two of our series, Asking for a Friend. These are the questions, right, that you want to know but you wanna know an anonymity, right? You wanna know these things, but you don't want anybody to know that it was you who wanted to know these things. So we ask these questions, and then we say asking for a friend. So that's where uh, we are. This series is gonna be, frankly, just a bunch of random topics, whatever is chosen by each pastor as we push through these things, just these questions that we wanna ask. So it's, uh, it's gonna be a fun few weeks, but today uh, we're gonna to dive in here. And I, uh, you've seen these questions, You've seen these questions, if you've ever been on Facebook, I know you've seen these questions. People have these questions all the time. I'm asking uh, for a friend. So, you know, a couple just examples would be like, uh, uh, I I wanna know what it takes for me to like eat anything I want, like never exercise, just crush Mountain Dew after Mountain Dew after (laughs) after Mountain Dew and never gain any weight. In fact, I'd like to lose 20 pounds. Is that possible? Right, and Of course, it's not, but people are dumb enough to ask that kind of question. So they say asking for a friend, right? Here's another one. I saw this one. So I went on, sorry, <clears throat> my friend went on this date with this guy, and he was amazing. He was charming. He was kind. He was funny. He was good looking. He was the whole package, right? And uh, it was all good. And then she found out that he was a felon. He lived with his parents, and he didn't have a job. But that was fine. Like it was, it was okay, she looked past all that because he was just such a good guy. She was willing to look past all that until their second date. And he showed up wearing a Dallas Cowboys jacket. <laughs> <laughs> Deal breaker, right? So my friend wants to know, like do you have to have a burn permit? Never mind. By the way, while I'm here, did you know that the Dallas Cowboys star is not a logo, it's a rating? One stop. one stop. This one's not in my notes, but it's free. My son told me, this is real, he really did. Told me a couple weeks ago, he said, Dad, did you hear about the tornado in Dallas? I said, no, buddy, I didn't hear about that. What happened? He goes, everybody was okay. They put him in Dallas Cowboy Stadium. I said, why'd they do that? He goes, because there's never a touchdown there. <laughs> <laughs> if you're watching online, Pastor Frank is standing in the back of the room going, <laughs> <laughs> it's regular day. It's regular... So we are gonna <laughs> we are gonna jump in. We're going to be in Luke 22 today if you want to grab your Bible or your mobile device, you can do that.' They'll also, these verses will also be on the screen behind me like we always do around here but we're gonna be in Luke uh, 22 starting in verse 54. Now before I get you all the way down to 54 though I need to uh, hit like fill you in on a couple things that happened prior to this right here in Luke. 22 there's two pretty big things that have taken place one is earlier in this chapter Jesus has his last supper with his disciples all of them are gathered together and it is literally their last supper as it says it's the last time that they're together around the table for this meal before Jesus would go on to be uh, captured crucified resurrect all the things that gave you and I life right so he has his last supper and he's sharing with them what's about to happen he's he's Essentially, forecasting and telling them, "Hey, this is the way this is gonna unfold." And Peter pipes up, and I'm paraphrasing here, but Peter pipes up during this last supper, and he says, "No, Lord, no way. Not as long as I'm around. Like I'm, I'm your guy. I got you. And if it takes me to jail, so be it. If it kills me, so be it. But whatever you say is about to happen, that's not going down on my watch because I'm, I'm your dude." And Jesus essentially says, "Well, Peter, I know that's what you think is gonna happen, and I know." You're trying to have the right heart here, but I just need to tell you, actually, before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. (sighs) That's kind of deflating, right? So they they move through that. So that's one thing that that took place, the Last Supper and that conversation, which is important for where we're going. The second thing that happens is right after that, Jesus is captured. He's arrested, and he's arrested because one of his 12 disciples betrays him. So Judas bails on the Last Supper. He goes and and hangs out with the people who want to arrest Jesus, and he takes them right to Jesus, and he betrays Jesus. Christ. So we have the Last Supper, we have Jesus' rest, he's taken away, and that's where we start here in verse 54. So here we are, Luke chapter 22, verse 54, and I'm going to start reading. You can check it out on the screen behind me. Then, seizing him, they led him away and took him into the house of the high priest. Peter followed at a distance. And when some there had kindled a fire in the middle of the courtyard and had sat down together, Peter sat down with them. A servant girl, saw him seated there in the firelight. She looked closely at him and said, this man was with him, but he denied it. Woman, I don't know him, he said. A little later, someone else saw him and said, you also are one of them. Man, I am not, Peter replied. But an hour later, another asserted, certainly this fellow was with him, for he is a Galilean. Peter replied, man, I don't know what you're talking about. Just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. The Lord turned and looked straight at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him. Of course he did. Here's, here's what happens, right? Before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. All right, back to that in just a bit. So I've I've been at church a long time. I've been at church my whole life. I was raised in the church. I've heard tons of sermons on forgiveness, and they're all good. Like they're like forgiveness and how when we forgive others, we're freed by that, they're freed by that, God is glorified by that, how we as Christ followers are called to be quick to forgive people. Like these are all good, noble, good, God-honoring things. I've heard lots of these sermons. You probably have too. But today I actually want to talk about what it means to forgive the hardest person to forgive. Yourself. It can be so so hard. Like, How do you forgive yourself when you have let someone down? How do you forgive yourself when you've let yourself down? How do you forgive yourself when you have let God down? You know that thing that you did that you shouldn't have done, or that thing that you didn't do that you should have done, and now it just haunts you, and it just eats at you, and maybe it was yesterday, and maybe it was 30 years ago, but that thing that happened that you just can't let go of, or maybe Maybe it's not something you did. Maybe it's simply the thoughts that you have when no one else is around that haunt you. <clears throat> maybe, it's, uh, maybe it's what you click on, right? I, I don't have any idea. It's different, different for all of us. And some of you, I, I recognize, recognize that some of us in here may be going, I think I'm good. Gosh, I've known Jesus a long time. He's redeemed me. He's restored me. I've forgiven myself for these things, and I'm I'm good to go. So I want to just let you in a little, like, behind the curtain just a little bit. One of the things that we talk about here at Grace Point, like, as a staff, from the staff level, one of the, like, lenses we look through when we're uh, communicating to you all, whether it be in this, like, forum, like, like, as the message of the day, or whether it be when someone's coming up just to deliver, like, announcements, and whatever communication that happens from up here, one of the things, it's not the only thing, and we don't stick to it, like... Objectively, all the time, but one of the things we talk about is does that hit 80 percent of the people we're communicating with? That's one of the checklists for us is it 80 percent of the people we're communicating with? So, not everything we do uh, hits 80 percent, like we, we had a, we talked earlier about a young adult thing that doesn't hit 80 percent of us, but there, there are some exceptions. But most of the time, we kind of live by that. Does it hit 80 percent? And I gotta tell you, I'm taking a little bit of a gamble today because some of us might be the might be the 20%. It might be, we might be the people that go, no, that doesn't really, that doesn't really affect me. But I just want to I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that if if you're used to being the person who like you keep coming to church, you keep coming to church and they keep saying these things that are from scripture, but like that doesn't really add up to you or that doesn't really feel like it's for you. Like maybe today, (laughs) maybe today can be for you. Like maybe today, we don't have to pretend we have it all together. Maybe today we can pretend my life truly is a mess or maybe was a mess and I'm still trying to find my way out of it. But some of us, we do have some things together. I get that, but not all of us. So if that's you and you've kind of checked out generally and you go, by the time we hit the message, like, I got, the music's great and like, I think Pastor Tim communicates really well, but I don't really, oftentimes I don't identify with it because I don't believe like you believe or like they believe. Well, you don't really even have to be a Christian to have made a mistake. <laughs> Right? You don't have to be a non-Christian to have made a mistake. So we're talking about today the things that are hard to forgive yourself for. And they might be sinful. They might be like intentionally like I acted in, in direct like disobedience to the Lord. Or they might just legitimately be like a mistake. It wasn't a sin, but you made a decision, and the decision cost you something. So that's what, that's what we're going to talk about today. How can I ever forgive myself? So the reality of this showed up for me as a 16-year-old, and I was—I think—a good kid. I—I I think people would say that. I was a church kid. I was a pastor's kid. I was a dude who loved youth group. All my best friends were in youth group. I played in the church band. I played in a band outside of my church where we went around, went around and led like youth conferences and events and retreats and all these good things. And like I loved the Lord fiercely. I think I was in it uh, for Jesus. Like, we, we played these big concerts. In fact, some of you super dweebs around here still have my CD from way back then. I don't know why. But I love the Lord. Uh, but here's the deal. I dated a girl who didn't. Right? I dated a girl who didn't love Jesus, and I thought that uh, the way this was gonna go was that, man, I'm so on fire for God, and I love Jesus, and, like, she's gonna meet Christ through me, and I'm going to bring her over into this with me. But really, kind of the opposite happened, and it didn't take long in our relationship for her to convince me, and let me be careful, I'm not blaming her, I'm blaming me, that a physical relationship was totally fine because it wasn't hurting anybody. Fair? It, of course it was. I know that now. I didn't know it as a 16-year-old. I, I, I believed her, and I believed the lie that I wanted to believe. Um, and plus, we thought as 16-year-olds, well, that's fine because we're going to get married someday. Because every 16-year-old with a boyfriend or girlfriend thinks they're going to get married someday. We, we of course didn't. Um, and I spent a lot of time being really ashamed and feeling like a hypocrite. And when I was standing on the stage leading worship, I felt like a liar. And I didn't want to pray. And I didn't want to face God. I didn't want to face a mirror in front of my face that says, "This is who you say you are, but here's who you really are." Um, you know, I had parents who, it still do to this day, who fiercely loved Jesus and loved me towards Jesus my whole life. Like, it's not a reflection on them. It was a dumb decision as a 16-year-old. And I ultimately needed to just get away from that relationship, cause, mostly because I couldn't figure out how to get away from my sinful behavior as long as I remained in that relationship. So I left it uh, with some pretty big uh, guilt. I left it with some, some, just some really tough, bummer feelings of regret, and one was that I took something from her that was reserved only for her husband, and the other is that I took something away from my wife at someday that was reserved only for her, and I, I get this is a little bit sticky, so I left there feeling terrible about me. In fact, I frankly, I probably hated me for a while. I had a tough time with that. Uh, I still have a tough time with that. I have a tough time the fact that I shared this with my daughter yesterday before she heard it today. Right? I have a, I have a tough time with that. Even talking about it today. So that was a that was a tough season in my life, and I had a hard time. And I I think I was a lot like Peter when he denied Christ. I spent a lot of time weeping bitterly. I mean, weeping bitterly. I was I I cried often, and I was. I was broken. So, so listen, I don't, I don't know what your story is, and I don't need to know what your story is, but you can imagine your story. Just just think back right now. What are the regrets that you have? What are the decisions you made? I don't know what your story is. Maybe, maybe uh, you were a kid or a teen, and you made a decision that you were like backed into a corner, and you didn't know how to get out of that decision, so you made the one you thought was best, and now it's cost you a whole bunch, right? I, I, don't, I don't know what it is. Maybe, maybe in the name, some of us that are older, maybe in the name of loving your family, you poured yourself into work and now you have a broken relationship with your kids because all you know is work. I don't, I don't know what it is. It didn't feel sinful. It didn't feel, it didn't feel wrong. It felt like the right thing to do. It felt like the honoring thing to do but now you're disconnected with your kids and all you're left with was what did I do? Like how, how in the world did I get here? Like, why did I do that? The thing I thought was most important, the, whole, the thing that was most important was right in front of me the whole time and yet I poured myself into something else. Maybe, maybe your mistake was totally well-intentioned and your intentions weren't what failed you, it was your judgment, right? Like, I do it all the time, darn near daily. I, I have great intentions and terrible judgment simultaneously. It happens all the time. Maybe your judgment was bad, your intentions were good and here we are, whatever you did or didn't do, like the fallout was just impossibly hard. Maybe, maybe you found yourself in a really kind of a weird, tough spot in your marriage and instead of leaning into it, you stepped out of it. You did something or you betrayed your spouse and now you, like, you just can't get over the guilt that you feel. Maybe, like I said earlier, maybe it's the clicking. I don't know. I, I truly don't know what your story is, but you really do love God and you really do love your spouse, but you really did and continue maybe to just make dumb decisions and you don't know why but the guilt is just overwhelming so what do you do when what you did haunts you what do you do when what you did haunts you like what do you do with the guilt so I'm going to jump in here by acknowledging something that I think is really important for us to understand before we go any further so for you you professionals in here that understand human behavior far better than I do um good luck giving me grace here not all guilt is created equal. Not all guilt is created equal. Some of us might be living in what, I, like, what could be called like a false guilt. A false guilt says, I feel guilty, but I shouldn't feel guilty. I just do because I don't know how not to. And there's lots of reasons, lots of you know, times in our lives where we experience this. Again, kid or a teenager, you made a bad decision, you don't know how to deal with it, and you just, or maybe, maybe mom and dad divorced. Maybe mom and dad divorced and you are left feeling guilty that if you would have just, right, whatever that might be, you could have saved that. You could have fixed that. Or or maybe you or someone you know experienced some abuse at the power of somebody who abused their power over you and now you feel like it was your fault, right? Like I, it's false guilt. Or maybe you know somebody who has uh, taken their life and you feel responsible for the dark place that they were in. So, I recognize you don't really need me to say this, and I probably don't have authority to speak this over you, but I just want to make sure that I'm clear here. That stuff's not your fault. Right? If you're feeling guilty for that stuff, it's, it's, it's not your fault. That's not from God. That's not what God wants from you. And the dark place they were in or the reason your parents divorced, all that, all that stuff. And fill in the blank. It's different for each of us. Um, that's, that's not what the Lord wants for you. That's a false, that's a false guilt. And there's another kind of guilt, though, that I think, I think can be used, I think it could be a gift when it's used to draw us closer to God. Like the right type of guilt, and I'm stepping in something weird here, I get it, but the right type of guilt can actually be a good thing when it draws you into the presence of God. This is 2 Corinthians 7.10, it says this, godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow says, I'm so, so, so sorry. I wish I hadn't done that. I dishonored God and I would give anything to have that moment back and do it over again. Like that's repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. This is a feeling of conviction. Like, oh my goodness, what have I done? That's not right. I can't believe I did that. I think this can be helpful because I think it can take us off of a wrong path and put us on a right one, and that's what repentance is, right? Right? It's repentance. We get off the wrong path, we get on the right one. It's, it's a godly sorrow. It says, I want to live in freedom. I want to experience God's goodness, God's holiness, God's love. It's a godly sorrow. Then there's another type of sorrow, as we just read, or guilt maybe, like this worldly sorrow that just leads to death. So there's a, big difference between godly sorrow or guilt, like a healthy guilt, and a worldly sorrow. And I, th- I think, as I read Peter's, uh, this passage here, I think Peter's experience is a good example of a godly sorrow. Many of you can probably relate to Peter. I know I can. He's a guy who had a lot of good qualities and things were good for him. And then just like he would do something so stupid, Like so, so stupid. And I don't think that's different from a lot of us. You're you're going in the right direction, you're honoring God, you're living for Christ, you're like you're in the groove, you're in the zone, and then like BAM. Dumb, dumb, dumb decisions. Like, where did that come from? What am I doing? Well, I think that's what Peter experienced. He goes from bragging on himself, like, Lord, I'm your guy. I got you, like whatever happens to the grave, man, you and me, they bro hug and they do whatever it is that dudes did back then, like it's all good, like Lord, I got you to the end, whether it be death, whether it be jail, like I got you, Jesus. And then Jesus kind of just sees through his pride and his weakness and he says, (laughs) I know you think so, Peter, but listen, even today before the rooster crows, like today you will disown me three times. Then of course, we just read the story, right? A little girl walks up and says, hey, weren't you with him? And listen, mister, I think I saw you with Jesus. And nope, not me. I don't know what you're talking about. A little while later, someone else comes up and says, whoa, wait a second. You're, mm, yeah, you're one of them. And Peter said, no, mm, 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 not me. I don't know who you saw, but it wasn't me. I wasn't there. I was home th- I don't know, playing Wordle or whatever it is people do. I don't like it, wasn't, it wasn't me. And then we see this third person. I love his response. And Peter replied, Man, I don't know what you're talking about. And just as he was speaking, the rooster crowed. Now, watch this. Do not miss this part. The Lord turned and he looked at Peter straight in the face. I mean, their eye to eye, their face to eye. To face the Lord, turned and looked straight at Peter. And then, of course, Peter remembered the word the Lord had spoken to him before the rooster crows today, you will disown me three times. And he went outside and he wept bitterly a godly sorrow. I can't believe I did that. I'm so, so sorry. Boy, was that stupid. And that's us, right? like that's us like i truly love that person with all my heart but in like a moment of anger i said something that i can never or in a moment of weakness, I did something that I can never undo, and you promised yourself you'd never do something like that again, and now you did, and you're left there going, what in the world has happened? Why was I so stupid? Or even worse, like how could God ever love me? I never get it right. I mess up over and over and over and over again, and I will never be good enough. The moment you're there, the devil has you right where he wants you. Can I say that again? The moment you're there and you're wallowing in your shame, the devil has you right where he wants you. There's a big difference between a godly sorrow, like a healthy guilt that leads to repentance, and shame that personalizes your behavior. See, guilt says, I did something bad. I did something wrong, but like it's, it's forgivable, or at least I hope so, right? And shame says, I am bad. And so, I know we don't talk about the devil much, but believe me, you have a spiritual enemy. So the devil tries to, to connect this action, like what you did with your identity, like who you are, to create this sense of shame. And I think the troubling part is you believe him. I believe him. I don't like to give Satan too much credit, but Doug it, he's good at what he does. That's why we're broken. You believe him. See, your pain, like whatever it is that, that's heavy for you, your pain, like... Well, that's, that's just payment for your past, and you deserve that. Now get this, I'm, I'm taking some liberties here, but I can, I can almost imagine what the devil was saying to Peter at this moment when this denial happened, right? Well, all three of these denials happened. Like, can, you, can you hear it? Can you, can you place yourself with me right here? <laughs> Peter, you totally... It. Ha! Right? Like Jesus trusted you. Like, out of, listen, out of all the people in the whole world, Jesus chose you to be his disciple. And look what you did. You went from, like, bragging, like, oh, I'm good, Lord, we got you, I got you, we're going to the end, man, to the grave, I got you, and, like, you went from bragging to just gone, like, everything is gone. Your credibility is gone, your ministry is over, your integrity is shot, like, it is ruined, gone. See, the devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God. After what you did or what you said or what you thought, like, God could never really love you. The devil wants to use your shame to drive you away from God, but God wants to use your guilt to draw you to his grace. See, God is good, and he wants to use a godly sorrow, a healthy, right kind of guilt to draw you to his grace so you can receive his mercy. His mercy that was new for you again this morning, just like it's been for you every single day of your existence. It seems to me, maybe it's a bit of a reach, but I'm going to go here. It seems to me maybe Peter and Judas' experience, experiences weren't all that different, right? Like Peter denies Christ three times. Judas, well, essentially jacks this thing up. I mean, he, he disowns God. He denies God. He, he rejects Jesus. He turns him in one time for 30 pieces of silver. Peter denies him three times. Judas disowns him three times, and he done it real good. Like, he done a good job. He made it count, right? And think about this, though. Judas betrayed him once, But instead of having a godly sorrow, Judas had what many of us have, a worldly sorrow. I'm so busted. My life is over. I can never face anyone again. And instead of freedom through repentance, he let his wrongdoing become his undoing. And listen, I get this is really elementary for some of us. I understand. Like, it sounds so stupid, but so many of us do the same thing. Like we know that we need to experience the fullness of Christ. We know that it's available to us. We know that we know, that we know, that we know, but we don't choose it. We choose the shame. Why? So ultimately, Judas separated himself from God and took his own life. And then there was Peter. Peter chose a godly. sorry, right? I'm so sad. I was wrong. Would you forgive me, God? Like Godly sorrow leads to repentance, simply changing directions. Repentance, I've heard explained like this. Re means change. So like, repent, think of maybe like a penthouse. It means you're moving from a lower way to a higher, better way. It leads to repentance, which brings salvation and leaves no room for regret. Like, I want to live... In your freedom, Father, I acknowledge that I sinned. This is what Peter did. I acknowledge that I sinned without excuses. I repent. I change direction. Now, Jesus went on to give his life, right? Why? For the forgiveness of your and my sins. So a perfect God became sin for you. A perfect God became sin for me. A perfect God didn't demand perfection from you in order to restore you and redeem you and forgive you. A perfect God thought you, in all of your mess, was worth forgiving, knowing full well that you would fail over and over and over and over again. A perfect God did that for you. And yet you won't do it for yourself. It made me wonder, as I was processing this this week, as I was studying and praying and writing, have I just determined that my standards are higher than God's? Hmm. So I told you earlier that I was uh, I was that broken 16-year-old kid who had been embarrassed and failed and all the things that that happened uh, there. But I eventually did find my way through to a godly Sorrow that led to repentance. And this, this is what moved me from a place of shame, a place of embarrassment, and like of hopelessness and guilt that was unbearable to life. It's when I realized that like my mess, my sin, <laughs> turns out wasn't in a league like all of its own. It turns out it wasn't. I mean, I thought it was, and you probably think yours is. You probably think your mess is like, Mark, mm. You don't know what I did, bro. Like, you have no idea what I've been through. Well, I realized mine actually wasn't in a league all of its own. And I got this moment, this, I guess I'll call it my Peter moment. See, Peter got his moment of repentance and of change by coming face-to-face with the Son of God. I did it by coming face-to-face with the Word of God. And here's the scripture that really, truly set me free. Here it is. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came, thank you, Lord, by Christ Jesus. So yeah, you've, you've fallen short. Join the club, get in line, I'll be in front of it. You've fallen short, make no mistake about it, but your mess, make no mistake about this too, ain't too big for Jesus to redeem. His grace reaches further than you or I could possibly imagine. And get this, he isn't withholding it from you. He withholds no good thing from you. He never has and he never will. So back to Peter here real quick, mostly because I just can't get enough. In John's Gospel, chapter 21, I'm not going to take you there, but you can read it later if you want, but I'm going to paraphrase here. Jesus, after he's resurrected, has this moment again, face-to-face with, with Peter, and he says to Peter, Peter, do you love me? After all that's happened, right? And Of course, Jesus hadn't forgotten their exchange. I'm sure they were, they were close, right? Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, well Yes! Yeah, thanks for asking. Of course I love you. Like, I've always loved you. I still love you. Whatever happened back there, Lord, I don't know what that was. That was a moment of stupidity. But yes, like, I love you. That junk that happened before, Lord, I have no idea who that guy was or what that was all about, but I have always loved you. And let me tell you what Jesus didn't say. He didn't say, well, I told you we're going to do that. He didn't say that. He didn't say, well, you are gonna be in a spiritual timeout, son. Like, he didn't say any of that. He looked Peter in the eye. Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, Lord, I love you. And it's like I can see Jesus smiling and saying, feed my sheep. Do my will. Like, whatever happened before, I just need to make clear to you, it has not disqualified you from doing the will of Christ right now. Finish your assignment. Go show my love. Here's the best part. You're forgiven. You're forgiven. Let me tell you what Peter didn't do. That's what Jesus didn't do. Here's what Peter didn't do. He didn't say, Lord... Mm, I can't receive your grace. I'll, I'll never get over it. I don't deserve it. Like, your grace, it might be good enough for John, but listen, like I messed up real, real, real good. Like, Lord, your grace is not sufficient for me. I can't get over it. Peter didn't do that, but that's exactly what so many of us do. Like it was so simple and yet we complicate it and we totally, totally butcher it. He acknowledged his sin. This is the gospel, right? He acknowledged his sin. He repented. He received the free forgiveness Of Jesus Christ. So I said earlier, I don't know what you're holding. I have no idea. No idea. I don't know if it's sin or if it's a mistake that was made that you just can't get over. I have I have no idea what you're holding. Something you said in a moment of stupidity. Here's here's what I want to offer you. If you've confessed it to Jesus and it's forgiven. Then it's time, and here's the big takeaway. I know we like application, and Pastor Tim's great at it. That's why many of us come here. It's time to let it go. It's deep, isn't it? Let it go. And to be clear, no, I have no intention of singing a Disney song right (laughs) now. I don't like singing in front of you guys, it makes me embarrassed. We have a 14-year-old daughter and yesterday she was six and that song has ran its course in the Giffen home. I'm not going to sing that song. Bear with me here. This is verse John 1-9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all Unrighteousness. Every single way in which we stood before God wrongly is gone. and We are made right through Jesus. All unrighteousness. If you have taken it, listen, if you have taken it before God, live in the assurance that Jesus has covered it and let it go. God doesn't hold it against you. He's not only forgiven your sins. Scripture tells us he's forgotten about it. I mean, it is gone. It says it's as far away as the east, which I think is that way, to the west. Like, it is gone. Let it go. For the love of Christ, don't let the pain of your past rob you from God's calling for your future. Let it go. I want you to acknowledge uh, something real quick. We have to, I think. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you want it or how much you will it, you can't change your past. But the good news is, God can change your future. So let it go, let it go. Live and walk in freedom. Whatever you're hooked on, whatever you're stuck on, let it go. Do you love him? Yes. Then go and feed his sheep and do his will. Maybe you let God down or somebody else down. And if if it's covered by the blood of Jesus, when the devil tries to bring up your past, listen, I'm not a motivational speaker. I don't intend to try to be, but maybe it's this. When the devil tries to bring up your past, is it possible that he's doing so because he's intimidated by your future? Is it possible God has more for you than to leave you trapped in your mess. Let it go. Here's what I know. I know that God's hand is still on you. I know that his grace is still in you and I know that his power still works through you. Who did God, you can do answer out loud if you want to. Who did God choose to be the guest speaker at Pentecost when he poured out his spirit? Anybody? Peter. Peter. What? Peter, you gotta be kidding me. Like, why would he choose Peter? If Peter's message was so simple yet so profound, it was so, so, so great. He said this: repent of your sins. Like turn away from them, call on the name of the Lord, and you will be saved. Repent of your sins. See, God didn't choose the one who was perfect. He chose the one who was forgiven. God didn't choose the one who was always faithful. He chose the one who had experienced grace. And hear me, Jesus used Peter because Peter didn't let his wrongdoing become his undoing. So whatever it is, the guilt, the shame, the weight, take it to the one who died for it. Confess it, turn from it, and find freedom. Let it go. I wish I had more dynamic words of great charisma to offer you, but that's what I have to offer you. Here's the big takeaway for, the, for today, your big application moment. You expected better, but here we are. Receive the grace of Jesus and let it go. Father, we love you. In the midst of our difficulty, in the midst of our sin, in the midst of our addiction, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our whatever it might be, Lord. Some of us need some spiritual surgery today. Maybe we've been holding on to something for five days, and maybe we've been holding on to something for 50 years. But whatever that something is, it's robbing us. It is lying to us, Father. It's lying to us, and we've begun to believe that we are not sons and daughters of the most high God, but I declare it right here and now, Father, we are yours, sealed in yours. So whatever embarrassment or shame is behind us, Father, I pray that you'd help us to press on towards the goal and leave our past behind. Lord, I, help, I pray that, Father, that you would help us to know today that that is not who we are. It's what we did. It's not who we are. We're yours today. Father, I pray that if anybody here uh, would, would take today as a day to turn from it, to repent, to confess it, God, that we would find salvation that's found in Christ today that we we could be people who understand what this truly means to have salvation. We would understand what this means to have no regret, God. We, we would have a, a worldly sorrow be gone and a godly sorrow begin to, to infiltrate our lives in a way that says, Lord, I don't want to be a sinner. I don't want to be I don't want to have this sinful behavior. I don't want to have this difficult stuff happening to me more. Lord, I want more. I need more. I need you to be glorified in my life. Father, I pray that you would be near to them right now. I pray that you would be near to all of us right now in our, in our unique circumstances. Lord, we offer you our lives because you gave us yours. And you're trustworthy. Father, from this point forward, would you be glorified in me? We love you. We praise you. We will feed your sheep. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I, uh, I want to read one scripture together as we go. Would you do me a favor and stand up? And we will say this as the whole body of Christ. The words will be on the screen. We're actually going to audibly as one church, as the church, as this family of God together who's here for Jesus and with one another. We're going to read this together. And here it is. This is First Timothy 1, 15 through 17. Let's read together. Here we go. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Now to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever, amen. God bless you all, you're dismissed.